0: time and thank you bring our praises before your throne lord i pray that you would tune our hearts the words of the song to sing your praises that we would be able to see the good that you are doing in every situation lord that we would understand that even when things don't feel good you are still good lord we thank you for the testimonies that have been given We thank you for the little things that you care about and that you work. In your name we pray. Amen. I didn't share this one. We did all that needs to be done so that we can go to heaven. Now tonight, again, uh, uh, this Sunday just seems to be the starting of things. And so we're going to I do not have a regular handout like we often do. But uh, we're going to start a series on uh, how to understand the Word of God. If you're a theology student, you can say we're going to take a hermeneutics class. And, of course, um, what used to happen in school was someone would always sign the roll sheet, hermeneutics, and just see if the professor would catch that. And... uh, I think he made several weeks on several occasions, but normally it got caught, especially at Bible college. But uh, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and and, uh, we'll uh, just lay a little bit of background here, but where you start determines where you finish. If you get on the end line... Now, let me see if I got this right. Uh, The end line goes to Bay Ridge now, I believe, and the queue goes to Coney Island. If you get on the end line, that's where you're going. And if you don't want to go to Bay Ridge or Coney Island, stay off the train. Amen? Uh, And where you start with the scriptures is where you end up. I remember... As a young Christian, uh, I think I still have the Bible itself somewhere, but uh, I was given an award uh, for, it was called the Christian Character Scholarship Award, and the gift was a Bible. I was a ninth grader in high school, and uh, they uh, gave that, and the gift was a Bible, and it was a New Schofield Bible. Not an old Schofield, but a new one. What had happened was Mr. Schofield's uh, semi-regenerate, I don't know if he was saved or not, uh, son, uh, had gotten in and rewritten all the notes and had changed many things. And they had actually gone into the text of the Bible and changed words so that it would be, quote-unquote, more easy to understand, more simple to really understand God's Word. And I remember picking that Bible up, and it, it truly was an, an incredible Bible. I, I did not own a Bible that was anywhere near as nice as that Bible was bound until just a few years ago when Peter found the Allen Bible Publishing Company in, in Scotland. Uh, and I always just said, boy, I wish, wish I could have a Bible that felt like that Bible felt when you held it in your hands. It was just an incredible thing. But I read all the notes. And I believed all the notes. And so my Bible had scribal errors in it. It had places where nobody really knew what God intended to put in that place, but we just have to do the best that we can. And certain words are archaic and certainly need to be upgraded. God forbid that you should get a dictionary and figure out what they mean. Amen? Uh, Just change the words. And I swallowed all that stuff hook, line, and sinker. And when I got to Bible college, I was planning, I believe God had called me to be a preacher. And and all of a sudden, I began to realize that my responsibility was to preach the words of God. The only problem was, according to Mr. Schofield's notes, nobody knew where they were. The best that we had was a compilation of all of these different things and hopefully God's real word was in there somewhere. Now, he didn't say it quite that way, but that's what he meant. And I began to get under conviction. I said, if if I'm going to be a preacher and I'm supposed to speak God's words, then I'm going to have to learn Greek and I'm going to have to learn Hebrew And I'm going to have to go through that library of 25,000, 26,000 manuscripts make up the history or the basis of our New Testament text. And as a freshman in Bible college, I began to build a resolution in my soul that I was going to examine every one of those manuscripts because if God's word was out there somewhere... I wanted to preach it. You see, where you start right. determines where you end up. Right. Oh, I'm so glad to find out hey, hey. Mm-hmm. that God took care of that for me. Yes, sir. Very good. Amen. You see, the biggest problem with understanding your Bible is people who want to help you. Understand your Bible. That's why I have a Bible that has no notes in it today. In fact, I had a Bible for years that had all of my notes in there. And I thought, I can't go wrong with my notes. Well, you know what happened? As I was reading over and over again, I found myself reading the same passage and thinking the same thoughts because my notes and my underlines were all there. And I wasn't seeing something new because I was too busy paying attention to what I'd already studied. And so I keep all of my notes on my computer. And not even Peter has been able to sort them all out yet. But he's working on it. Because the simple truth of the matter is, if we're going to start right, we've got to understand, I think they're having a Super Bowl party next door is what that is. So we'll we'll just turn up the mic here and... No, don't turn me up, Zach. <laughs> but... Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16... All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works." Over 3,800 times in the 1,100 chapters that make up your Bible, God claims that these words are His. Now, if God says something once, that makes it important. If He says it 3,800 times, um, who in the world are you to argue with God? Amen? These are God's words. We start out... On the proper place. If you, every so often somebody will come up, nobody does it anymore. I, 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 uh, I think I've kind of scared people off. They know what the answer is going to be. Pastor, do you have a good book to help me understand the Bible? Yes, I do. It's called the Bible. But I want a commentary, something that will teach me and explain. Yes, the Bible is its own commentary. But what about a dictionary? Now, Pastor, we just bought you that big 20-volume dictionary. You're going to say that that's not useful? No, I like my Oxford English Dictionary, and I use it extensively. But when I really want to understand a Bible word, I look it up in the Bible everywhere it's found and chase it through the Bible. Because even the Oxford English Dictionary is wrong on the definition of the word wine. So, well, wait a minute. Yeah, it, you look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary and it'll say it's an alcoholic beverage made from grapes. Is that a true definition of the word? How many people know what a wine press is? Does alcohol come out of a wine press? No, in fact, if you're going to get grape juice, you go to a wine press and you get grape juice. In fact, that's all that's ever come out of a wine press is grape juice. You have to pollute it. You have to do things to it. You have to doctor the grape juice to make it into alcoholic wine. So maybe the word wine just means anything that has to do with the juice of a grape. Because a wine vat or a wine fat, does it have alcohol in it? No, you put grape juice in it. And in the process of time, you, you uh, uh, pollute, I call it polluted. it. Because alcohol is the um, excrement of of bacteria. It's poison. You took a six-ounce glass of straight alcohol, you would be dead. Alcohol poisoning. But, well, a normal person, uh, if you're addicted to alcohol for many years, you could probably get away with that, but... Alcohol by itself is a deadly poison. The word wine, if we use our Bible to explain it, will give us a definition of anything that has to do with the juice of a grape. And when Jesus made the water and the wine, no, he wasn't getting people schnockered, amen? Uh, That's not my savior. We need to understand that all scripture, every portion of it, is given by inspiration of God. Now, if God inspired it. Now, I like some of the Gaither songs. There's an awful lot of what they've been doing in recent history. I, I, I just have no use for whatsoever. But this was probably 25 years ago. Mrs. Gaither was quoted as saying, well, our songs are inspired just like the word of God. Let me tell you something, that's blasphemy. Your songs are not inspired. They're not God-breathed. They may be inspired like Shakespeare's poetry or somebody else's poetry. That's fine. You can be inspired by a beautiful picture to write uh, a a wonderful description about God's creation, but that's not inspired when when it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I want everybody to inspire for just a moment. Breathe in. That's how God gave the scripture. He breathed his words into the men he chose. You know what? They've written libraries full of books trying to explain this thing called inspiration and and preservation and all of this. If you just... God breathed in... His words. You know, the neat thing about breathing is everybody does it a little different now, don't they? God did not rewrite the personalities of the authors when he breathed in his words. He allowed Peter to be Peter and Paul to be Paul. He allowed Moses to be Moses and Joshua to be Joshua and King David to be King David And we can see differences in their writings. We can see their personality because God breathed through a living human being his specific words that he wanted us to have today. Not one of these words is uninspired. Now, how many of you like reading the genealogies? How many of you love the book of Leviticus when it talks about his offering? was a silver spoon of 10 grams of gold full of incense and and a silver pitcher of so many ounces, shekels weight. and And you read that and it just goes over and over and over again and you're sitting here going, oh, please. How many of you remember the laws of the cleansing of the leper? You talk about tedium. But let me tell you, God's laws of the cleansing of the leper are just as exact as a modern medical journal that was written just a few years ago. You follow God's laws and you won't pass one of the most contagious diseases known to mankind to anyone else. Do you think God may have known about germs before Louis Pasteur discovered them or whoever it was? Uh, I think he did. You see, all scripture is given by inspiration of God And it is profitable. Now, we live in New York City. Everything here is based on profit, is it not? Can you make a profit? Brother Nielsen and I were talking and he was saying, yes. He said, the people where I live now, they talk about acres. And I remind them, I'm a city boy. We sell it by the square foot. And uh, yeah, that's what things are here in New York. Everything. Often when people come to visit, they say, you use every little bit of space. If you had to pay as much for the space as, 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 it takes to get it, you use it. Amen. Uh, we just don't have things to sit around and do nothing. Uh, a lot of times I'll get, oh, a dozen or more emails a year. Uh, so and so that I know has a, has a, a, um, a child that's coming here or a student. Do you have any extra housing among your membership? And I always just, I said, our people barely have enough room for themselves to live in. Nobody, nobody has extra space. Why? Okay. One bedroom apartment, $1,300 a month. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. You just don't have money to play with these things. Everything is based on, is it profitable? They get upset with us New Yorkers when we go outside of the city because I don't have two hours to sit in a restaurant and talk while you make pancakes. If you've ever visited Heartland with us, one of the places we go is IHOP because it's the only place that's open. You give them 15 orders and you're going to be there for three hours waiting on your food. It's just... Get there at 9 o'clock, leave at 1230. Oh, I'll tell you what. We believe in making a profit. Amen? The Bible says that the scriptures are profitable. The idea of a profit is that you put X amount of dollars in and you get X plus out. You get more out than you put in. How many of you have found this book to be profitable? Say amen. In fact, if they shout again, we're all going to one, two, three, and just shout amen. All right? See if we can freak them out over there. So, they're interrupting our service. We'll interrupt their game. But... uh The scriptures come from God. They're profitable. Now, here's what they're going to give you a profit. Doctrine. I can't tell you how many preachers I've run into over the years that say, Listen, preacher, you you can't spend your life on doctrine. People need preaching. Uh, Wait a minute. What is preaching if it ain't doctrine? If you don't have doctrine as the basis of what you're preaching, you're just making noise. It's not entertainment. We're here to learn something. Doctrine is what we practice. It's what we believe enough to live by. It's what we believe enough to die by. We've not had to worry about that in the past. We may have to worry about that in the future. I wonder how many people would show up at church if you knew your name was going to be turned over to your boss for layoff and termination for showing up at church on Sunday. That's the way it was in the former Soviet Union, behind the Iron Curtain. What would happen if you were put on a kill list because you were baptized in Jesus' name? That happens in Muslim countries all over the world today. Listen, doctrine is not negotiable. Right. Doctrine is not changeable. We're not going to surrender what we believe about the word of God so we can get along with someone. If you want to get along with us, you believe right about the word of God first. Amen? If you want to get along with us, you believe right about what the Bible says about salvation. We, we have a constitution and bylaw. It's not because we're trying to supplant the scriptures It's just because we want you to know what you're getting into before you join our church. Because we believe certain things. And we're not here to compromise what we believe because the Bible is profitable for doctrine. It ought to change the way you live. And if you don't believe that this book is worth changing your behavior over, then you don't have the right Bible. You don't have the right attitude toward that book. That's what it's talking about. When God makes behavior modification, it's for our benefit, not his. And so as we study how to understand the word of God, what we got to do is we have to get a hold of this thing that the scripture is God's word. He breathed it into the men that wrote it. He didn't make any mistakes and we'll look in weeks to come on the promises to preserve his word. And when God says something, he means what he says. He says what he means. And by the way, don't ever say to me, well, that's your interpretation. Because the interpretation doesn't belong to me. God has given us an apparatus. He has given us a complete working system to verify what we understand because let me tell you something every one of us have had misunderstandings about what this book has said. How do we get straightened out? We go back to the word of God. It is profitable for doctrine. It gives us an ability to check and recheck what we believe and how we believe it. And by the way, I have books. But when I want to understand what the Bible says, I go to this book. Somebody said, what do you think about Facebook? I said, I like it very much. That's the only kind of Facebook I want, is I want my face in this book. Because that's where the answers are. It's profitable for doctrine. Now, this next part, if you've been through the discipleship, you've been nothing new here. But we need to be reminded for reproof. Reproof. Blame expressed to the face. How many of you like reproof? I don't. How many of you need reproof? Raise your hand. Every one of us need reproof. Every one of us need to be kept in the way. This is an ongoing process of being moved from where our wicked, sinful hearts would take us, from where our compromise would lead us, back to the Word of God. For doctrine, for reproof. How many of you knew everything you know today the moment you got saved? How many of you are glad God revealed it to you a little bit at a time? It would have scared you to death. You said, "I can't be crazy like they are there. Hey, if this is crazy, I highly recommend it. It works. It solves life's problems. But I I say this every time I go through, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. We need to. I really hate nitpickers. Somebody comes along, and they find what's wrong with everything. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, if there's something wrong, especially in some of the building projects, somebody said, Don't worry about it, Pastor. It's small and insignificant and doesn't matter. It's, praise God, it's never the same person. They'll, Pastor, what about that little spot in the ceiling tile up there? He said, Oh, we slipped and put a nick in the ceiling tile. And unless you want to get the ladder out and replace it, it's staying there. God's not a nitpicker, my friend. Don't ever accuse him or his word of being a nitpicker. You see, God reproves us for what's wrong, but then we go to the next step for correction. He's not going to just tell you what's wrong. He's going to tell you how to fix it. He's going to tell you how to make it right. And then the next step is for instruction in righteousness. Okay, here's what we believe. Your life doesn't match your doctrine. Fix it. Reproof. Here's how to fix it. Correction. Here's how to keep it fixed. Instruction in righteousness. Now, let me ask you a question. If you have doctrine, if you have reproof, if you have correction, if you have instruction in righteousness, do you need anything else? Okay, I was hoping I'd get well, at least one no. That's what Peter gets paid for, amen? Listen. God has given us what we need. If we approach the Bible the way God intended us to approach the Bible, we're going to end up at the right place. That means that we believe all scripture, every word of this book is given at God's breath, at God's direction. That what the Bible says is doctrine is doctrine. You know what? There's not one verse in the Bible that says how many hymns we ought to sing in a service. So we don't always sing the same number of hymns. Now we've gotten into a habit of pretty much four hymns every service. Uh, I'm going to talk to our guys. We're going to just change that. Why? Because that's not doctrine, for hymns. But there better be hymns Because the Bible says, singing to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Bible says that we ought to sing praises to God. Amen. The Bible says that we need to corporately worship God together with our voices. Whether you've had training or not. Whether you sing beautifully or not. Just sing. Amen. Amen. That's doctrine. For reproof, for instruct for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Now verse seventeen is a verse that people neglect, and we'll have it just in a moment here. That the man of God may be perfect. Get a bet. Now, don't you, don't you ever call me a religious fanatic. Amen. I mean, we are fools for Christ, but we ain't that big a fool. Amen. Amen. Oh, people get so excited about a stupid little ball. People been killed. How many people just died in that soccer stadium? Seventy-some, 74 people died in a soccer stadium. And we've got what the whole world wishes they had. If they only knew what it was. And unfortunately, many of them will never see until you and I live it in our lives. That's what this is all about, that the man of God may be perfect. We hide behind that word. We use it as an excuse. Nobody's perfect. Well, the Bible says you can be scripturally perfect. Wanting nothing in your service for God. That's what it means. It doesn't mean sinlessly spotless, though we are sinlessly spotless in the blood of Jesus Christ. It says that ye may be, present tense, perfect, that the man of God may be perfect. That means complete. That means not missing any regular part. How many of you are missing something in your relationship with God? How many of you need more work in your prayer life? You're not perfect, but you can be. How I many of you need more work in your soul-winning abilities and in your outreach to other people. Hey, well, you're not perfect, but let me tell you something the word of God says you can be. Amen. How many of you are perfect in your giving? Oh, I knew he was going to sneak that one in. <laughs> Listen, giving is part of our worship to God, is it not? Amen. That shouldn't be lacking. And let me tell you, if you put the money in and you feel bad about it, don't put it in. Keep it. We don't need grudging gifts. We need people who give because God's done a work in their heart. When He's done a work in your heart, you know what? You can't help but give. And by the way, you want to love something? You want to love this church? You want to be more patient with your pastor? Put more money in the offering plate. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. You it's just a necessary thing. God wants us to invest our treasure. Amen. Because he wants our heart to be where his heart is. Amen. That the man of God may be perfect. Truly. Now, that's an old English word. Most of us will say thoroughly. But truly, all the way through. How many of you have gone into an apartment building or something like that and you see this beautiful lobby and everything? Wow. Then you turn the corner and they're replacing the tile floor. Or they're doing some renovation it's all tore up. You know what? That's not truly furnished. God wants your life all the way through to have the good works that are the result of good doctrine that are put there because you've taken reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness and you are in agreement with God's doctrine and you are producing what God wants you to do. The Bible says you are perfect at that point. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? That's what John was talking about in First John when he says that you may have boldness on the day of judgment. How many of you, when you think of standing before God, just a little fearful about what your record's going to be? Uh, well, we got to start with the Word of God. If we're going to understand this book, and I want to challenge you, that you cannot understand what this book says unless you have the attitude that we've described tonight before you open the pages. This is God's word. He has the right to change my behavior. He has the right to reprove me and tell me that I'm wrong. When I was a young preacher, uh, I used to tell people, I'm not here to, to tell you you're wrong. I don't say that anymore. I'm here to tell you what God's word says, and if you're on the wrong side of it, well, guess what you are? wrong you got to get it fixed that's what correction is all about you got to keep it fixed so that God can get glory from your life we've often said this and say it again if you're studying something in the Bible if you want to learn something from the scripture and it does not change or assist you in living a better Christian life, just let God handle that great mystery of the ages past and study something in the Bible that will change the way you live. I don't care who the sons of God were in Genesis chapter 6. i uh, I'm As we go through the book of Revelation on Thursday nights, we are not going to try to identify the personality of the Antichrist. That's none of our business. What we are doing is looking for things that are going to challenge us to live better lives, more doctrinally correct lives till Jesus comes. That's the purpose of studying the scriptures. It's not so that I can impress you with my intelligence. 30 seconds or less, that'd be about all I could manage. But if I can impress you with the Word of God, it will prepare you for eternity. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer and we ask that you prepare our hearts for the time of prayer to follow. We ask you to work. We ask you to give us a proper attitude toward your Word that we would realize There's just so many things in here. So many instructions, so many opportunities to be obedient to your words. Lord, that we wouldn't miss the reproof. That we would not groan under the correction. And Lord, that we would bear up under the instruction in righteousness that we may know what your doctrine is. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed for a moment. And if you need to...